Hello and welcome to The Dialogues, the interview series about people with type 1 diabetes, for people with type 1 diabetes and with people with type 1 diabetes, where we talk to you, your doctors, nurses, nutritionists, CGM experts, entrepreneurs and pretty much anyone with interesting perspectives and insights in the world of type 1 diabetes. Make sure you subscribe and make sure you give us feedback and let us know what you want to know. We're brought to you by Not Just a Patch, the patch designed to keep your CGM stuck on you. Not Just a Patch gives 10% of all profits to support insulin access for all. Visit notjustapatch.com and use the code PODCAST10 to get 10% off your next order. Enjoy the episode, everyone. Hi, Crystal. How are you? Hi, well, thank you. How are you doing? Good, good. Welcome to the Dialogues. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That's all right. It's good to have you. I'm excited about the chat. So let's just, I think one of the things that is interesting is I'm talking to a lot of people all over the world and the beauty of sort of technology in the world that we're in, it's really great to be able to do that. So one thing I've started doing is going, tell us kind of where you are. What's sort of, what's the world you're in? What's around you over there? Where I'm at, where I'm at. So I'm looking out the window here. I, I live in Santa Monica, California. So that is part of Los Angeles. So I am basically on the beach, which is pretty cool. Meaning when it's not super foggy and we don't have like the the mist from the ocean, I can actually see the ocean here from where I live. So that's pretty sweet. I have been living here since 2011. Moved Actually, I'm Danish. I moved to the US from Denmark, moved to California in 2009. Yeah. So I am now, uh, well, I'm now a dual citizen in the sense that I have my home here, I have my American passport, I still have my Danish passport. I do go back to Denmark once in a while, whenever the world allows it, I would say. It's so, tough at the moment. So are you, um, like the image I think I have and people have of LA is like rollerblading along the boardwalk in your um, whatever you're wearing, kind of like <laughs> tiny shorts. Is that, yeah, is that, is that, is that <laughs> you? LA person? It's actually funny that you mentioned rollerblading because I've been seeing all these, uh, you know, girls on um, real roller skates and now I'm like obsessed. I have to start roller skating again. I haven't roller skated since I was a kid. So I will be on the beach roller skating at some point. But it's funny that you mentioned the culture here because the culture have had a big, big impact on me. Because when I moved here, so as I said, we, my husband and I moved, both, we're both Danish. We moved to mm. California together, we started out up in San Francisco. We're in San Francisco for a year and a half, and then we moved down here to Los Angeles. And I just remember coming down here, seeing all these amazingly fit people running around. That was kind of like my impression of LA was like, wow, everybody's in amazingly good shape. I think it's also because of weather, a lot of people are running around without their shirts on or with very like limited amount of clothing on, let's say like that. <laughs> um, and there is a exercise culture here. Yeah. So that was actually, that was, that had a huge impact on me because when I moved here, I was like, this is so cool. I want this. I mean, I've always been active, but never to sort of the level I took it to once I moved here. And that was inspired by seeing all these people running around being super fit and doing all these things. I mean, you look at you, you weren't into fitness as much until you moved to LA. I mean, I've always been active. Yeah. Right? I, I grew up in Denmark, meaning that I was on my bicycle every day going yeah. from a to b because that's a means of transportation right um also my family didn't have a car for 
several years. So if you need to go anywhere, you need to take a bicycle or you need to take public transportation. And I'd rather be on my bike, to be honest. So I always biked everywhere. I, you know, played a little bit of sports when I was younger. I did the last few years before we moved to the U.S. I would go to the gym like three times a week. I, I did boxing classes and I loved that. It was a lot of fun. But that was about it. You know, it wasn't structured as it became once I moved to Los Angeles or to here to Santa Monica. Because all of a sudden I saw, okay, well, I can actually take my fitness, you know, from it was a good base. Again, mm. three times a week, that's pretty good. You know, mm. then I I would say my first job here in the US didn't really allow for that because I was traveling five days a week. But moving here, seeing this, my husband then joined Gold's gym here in Venice, which is like the original bodybuilding gym with yeah. you know Arnold Schwarzenegger which still comes by. Yeah. He's yeah. way earlier in the morning than I am. But um we started working out there and it kind of I got the buck, let me say like that. And yeah. what that meant for me was taking it to the next level in the sense that started to set dedicated fitness goals. Yeah. So like I want to lift heavier. I want to have more defined shoulders because there was also some some physical yeah. <laughs> uh, sort of the the more superstition uh, superficial part of it for me because I was like this is beautiful. I love muscles. <laughs> I I think it's awesome. I love muscles. I like that. Yeah. And I think one thing also realized was that this is not just about lifting up weight and putting it down again. It's also about eating right to feed that process and to enable me to get stronger and, you know, build those muscles that I wanted to build. So it's funny because a lot of people think I'm like, oh, you've been an athlete all your life. I'm like, yeah, not really. I it's mean, that's cool, actually, you can, but, um, I think you can discover new pursuits as life goes on like and you can kind of yeah it's it's i think it's somewhat in some way reaffirming that like you know you may be on a path you can change the path at any point we've kind of jumped ahead I, and i've got kind of lots of questions about what you've said and, we, and i definitely want to jump into the fitness stuff because that's a yeah. key part about i think what you bring to to the world you're in and to the diabetes community just out of personal interest though and actually sydney so i think most people should know that that i'm in sydney i think sydney's a bit similar to that there's this like early morning exercise culture here and we have the weather and we have like the landscape and the geography to yeah. support it we've got the harbor that's beautiful and so people are out walking and you know there's beaches and stuff so i think there's some similarity mm -hmm. there certainly like the, the exercise culture here is off the charts whether you like it or not i, I don't mind it um <laughs> But I'm, I'm, I'm personally interested in, in the San Fran LA thing. And this is like completely off topic a little bit, but um, just like out of personal interest, like which is a better city? Huh. You lived That's in a great question. Because <laughs> I mean, we have a Sydney Melbourne thing where like, you know, like there's this competition, this rivalry and like Sydney has these attributes, Melbourne has these attributes and like you're either a Sydney or a Melbourne person. Okay. So to the story comes that, in 2009, my husband got a job offer in the U.S. That's why we moved to the U.S. together. Okay? So we got the option to like, you can move to San Francisco or you can move to, I think it was Austin, Texas. And for us, it was just like, we want to go to California. We want sunshine. We want the beaches. We want all these things. And then we moved to San Francisco and we realized like every tourist who comes to San Francisco is that most of the year, San Francisco is not sunny. They do have beaches. They're very cold. Most of the time it's like foggy. The year we were there is probably the wettest year in the history of California. It was so much rain. That's saying something. It's like it's a wet <laughs> part of the world, right? 
<laughs> I was so I, and we lived in something called Russian Hill. It's a very nice area of the city. And I'm like, I'm a city girl. You could go across the bay, you can live in sunshine. I'm like, I don't care. I'm not living in suburbia. I we need to be in the city. That's what makes me happy. And we were on the 12th floor. And I just remember we were supposed to have like a side view, like out of window, you know, on the side of the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. And then a year and a half we were there, we maybe saw that bridge once or twice because all the time it was just again 12th floor, just clouds or fog like switching by the window. That being said, I did love the city. The weather, not so much, but the city, I think, especially coming from Europe, moving to a city like San Francisco was amazing because it's so, you can walk everywhere. There's yeah. actually a lot of Scandinavians. So again, I'm from Denmark, which is Scandinavia. There's actually a lot of Scandinavians there. So it's it's a very easy starter city, I would say, for someone coming yeah. from Europe, moving to the U.S. And this sounds awful, but we did end up moving predominantly because of the weather. Like, this is not what we came to California for. Yeah. We wanted the sunshines, we wanted the beaches, and we wanted to be outside more. So that's why we moved down to Los Angeles. You didn't answer my question. Well, again, that's the reason why I moved. I do prefer Santa Monica. Oh, yeah, cool. All right. I'm not yeah. moving back. <laughs> I'm not moving back. From the weather. Yeah, cool. Thank you for that. So um, do you want to give us a little bit about your story, a bit about your background? You've got type 1 diabetes. Suppose it could go without saying. I don't think anyone. Oh no! I have interviewed people, at least one person without diabetes. That was an endocrinologist, but most still in the realm of diabetes. Yeah. Yeah, pretty relevant. So yeah, what's um? When did you get diagnosed? Where were you? And um, how's it going? Yeah. How's it going? <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> uh, I was diagnosed in '97, December of '97. So that's 23 years ago, pretty much. To the I don't have the exact date. I know a lot of people have like the exact date of the diagnosis. I don't know, maybe it's because it's 23 years ago. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a, been a while. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know um, my diversity. <laughs> my diversity. Yeah, I, people celebrate it. I actually think I it's cool. It's kind of like, if you see it as a badge of honor. Yeah. I'm like, that's kind of cool. I just, I just don't. <laughs> I, I mean, I just don't celebrate it because I don't know. But anyway. So 23 years ago, it's December of 97. At that point, I was still living in Denmark. I was 19 years old. Most of us graduate. If you choose to go to high school, you graduate high school around that age. So this is the fall slash winter after I graduated high school. And I had decided to take a year off to save up money to go travel the world. I wanted to go travel around India, just like open ticket, you know, a lot of people did that back in 97, a lot of Europeans. So it just, yeah. you know, you just go and you see the world and you come home whenever, and then you start school or your real life or whatever when you get back, right? Exactly. So that was my plans. Yeah, so I was working two jobs. I was also partying a lot because, well, the legal age for going out and for drinking and all that is 18 in Denmark. So I was the legal age for that. And I was having fun and I was so tired all the time. I was so tired, you know, it's kind of like, so I worked daycare and then I worked at a nightclub in the evenings. So of course I was tired. Yeah. It's like, of course I'm tired, but you know, I would watch these kids and you have to watch them also when they sleep. And once in a while I would fall asleep as well, which is not, you know, <laughs> part of the, part of the job description. But in the same thing, you know, I would, this come December, the family gatherings, you know, people celebrate Christmas in Denmark. A lot of them most do. 
And I would sort of like nap between courses or before dinner. And my family's kind of like, this is odd. Yeah. There's something wrong. I was also drinking insane amount of liquids. I couldn't, you know, sleep through the night because I had to go up, use the restroom. I had to pee all the time. I couldn't sit through a movie theater. I remember going on a date. And I had to go out twice during the movie. I don't know what he, he must have been thinking or like, what's going on here? <laughs> he doesn't like me. <laughs> he like running out. And all these things. And it was just, my family's like, this is odd. You need, you know, go see a doctor. And me, again, I could rationalize everything. I was like, I'm just working hard, you know. I am eating a lot because I'm drinking a lot. I'm trying to be a little more healthy. Maybe I'm not doing the best. I mean, I was also eating a pint of ice cream a night and not gaining weight. And I loved it. That was pretty amazing for me. I love ice cream. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I went to saw my primary care uh, doctor, so my family doctor, and he gave me a lecture about, you know, looking out for myself. But he also asked the right questions. He's like, how much are you drinking? Are you feeling, you know, he was listening. Yeah. So ultimately, yeah. after the con- at the end of the consultation, he's like, let's just measure your blood sugar. So he did like a finger stick in the office. And he was like, do you have diabetes? He diagnosed me right there in the office. Mm. might have explained it he might not i still to this day do not know i just know that i left his office not knowing what diabetes was just that i had that diagnosis and i thought i'd been handed a death sentence that's all i know from again i think when you get a message when you get a diagnosis like that you're probably not listening or you don't take in all the information again it's also 23 years ago so (laughs) that could have happened uh you know to my memory of it but anyway i remember biking home in Denmark, I'm on my bicycle, biking home, thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And I got home. Yeah, this is, oh, this is also 97. So it's before, I mean, I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't, I couldn't yeah. just, I didn't just Google things because you didn't do that back then. I, however, am very fortunate that I came home. My mom was home. I was still living at home at that point. And she's a nurse and she knew enough about diabetes that she could explain to me to a point where she's like, you know, you're going to be okay. Yeah. And this was on a Friday and the Monday after I'm still puzzled that I was allowed to just go home for the weekend. But anyway, the Monday after my mom and I went to a specialist that's sort of like a diabetes diabetes center, just happens to be one of the best ones in Europe. So we're like 10 minutes from my home. Shows up. Very, uh, Steno, S-T-E-N-O, diabetes center. And we went there and this is the best part about my diagnosis, I think, is that I was assigned a pediatric nurse. I was 19, but anyway, pediatric nurse named Lodu. And I remember her name to this day. And I remember her because she was the one and I actually reconnected with her less than a year ago after all these years, wow. which is pretty cool. Well, I did another interview and they were like, hey, I think I know you, Lodu. And they connected us. So that was kind of, that was special. But anyway, she was the one and she now has told me that I'm paraphrasing, which roll with it. Okay. But she was like, you know what? This diagnosis sucks, but there's nothing you can't do. Yeah. This yeah. not be a barrier. This should not be a barrier for you to do whatever you want. And I kind of rolled with that. And that's how I live my life now. That's what I keep. I mean, if you read anything I write, you probably see that, you know, I always say that it's like, there's nothing we can't do if we have access to, you know, our medications, obviously, if we have access to information and the right mindset. And she basically trained me in, in, in diabetes. Uh, you know, that upfront training that you get. And I remember having a conversation with her, kind of like, so I was planning on going to India to backpack around India. What's going to happen with that? And she's like, you're going. Yeah. So I went. And within a year of my diagnosis, I was backpacking around India. Didn't go 
completely according to plan all the way through, but you know, we've, I figured it out. And it's, it's, um, it's interesting actually when, like one of the things that you, you mentioned there was like the initial reaction that people have when they get diagnosed. I was just reflecting on my own reaction and I was uh, working really hard and I was training for the, I was in London training for the London marathon. I got diagnosed and I just remember kind of going to the hospital, had a chat to the, to the diet dietitian. They said, you know, things like don't eat too much honey and stuff like that. Um, you know, and they said, here's your insulin. And, and I left and that was kind of it. I just went home and just got on with my life and never really like stopped, never really reflected that much, never really kind of like had a mo- that many, you know, much of a moment. It just kind of yeah. like, it just kind of just became normal pretty quickly for me. Um, but I think that, you know, people have very different reactions and I, and it, you know, I imagine it could be quite a, a harrowing experience for a lot of people that initial diagnosis period. I think it, I think it also really depends on who, who's in front of you. I mean, if Lada had been, oh, this is bad. You're never going to be able to live a good life. This is going to be like, if, if she had taken that approach with me, I might have, you know, I might have tackled my life with diabetes slightly different, yeah. or it might have taken me longer to get to the point where I was like, hey, this doesn't have to stand in my way. Have you had any um, particularly challenging periods at all? You've always managed it really with, with the right perspective. Have you ever, have you ever lost perspective? I don't think I've lost perspective, but I've definitely had a lack of knowledge. Yeah. And what yeah. I mean by that is that, for example, it took me a really, really long time to understand that an A1C of eight was kind of high. Did you have an A1C of eight at some point? I did in the beginning, yeah. you know, or not, not right when I was diagnosed. I'm sure that was way higher. I don't remember how much that was. But the first years of just managing, I was always just told you're doing good. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. And I remember at one point, I think it had an A1C of like 8.2 or something like that, which is not horrendous, but it's definitely, it could definitely be tighter, you know, assuming that you don't have too many lows and all that as well, of course. I just, I just didn't realize that it was on the higher side until at one point I was reading something, you know, I was reading pamphlet or whatever saying, okay, guidelines is you maybe should have an A1C of 7.5 or lower. And I'm like, no. I didn't know because nobody had ever told me and I had never you know, read it anywhere before. Again, this is also, okay, in the years, like the first 10 years, that's when Google kind of came through and we started Googling everything. But before that, you're kind of like more, you'd rely more on your doctors and, yeah. you know, whatever yes. pamphlets they yeah. gave you. There's a lot of pamphlets. So I think for me, it was more about realizing, hey, things can be done differently. I remember going into my doctor after reading that. I'm like, I feel like I just... This is the first time and he got very shocked because I was like, I keep coming here and you give me my prescriptions and send me home and tell me everything is going well. I've learned now that I could probably do better. Can you please give me the tools so I can, or help me develop the tools so that I can, you know, manage my diabetes a little tighter because I want to feel good right now. I don't want, you know, and I don't want diabetes to end up standing in my way down the line because I didn't manage it today. How's your A1C now? That's kind of like asking me my weight, isn't it? <laughs> I don't mind sharing. I, I actually just published a YouTube video where I'm showing it. So it's like, it's out there. Yeah. Uh, so my last one. Are some, people, uh, about, are some people sensitive about that question? Yes. Really? I think it's, well, I think it's, it's one thing, right? So first of all, if you have an A1C of nine, for example, and you're not super proud of it, it might be yeah, a sensitive yeah. thing to talk about. Yeah. Um, I generally aim for an A1C of 
six to six five. That's wow. my goal. I think goals are individual. The YouTube video I posted, my A1C was six. Last one is five nine. So I'm like, I'm in that area. Five I would say that. I mean, it's also work. Yeah. But I think some people might also. So one, I want to you said if you're sensitive, I think one thing is some people might not feel comfortable talking about a high A1C, or if you have a high A1C, you might feel like you're being judged by others, like you're not doing a good job, or totally. there could be a lot of reasons why you have a higher A1C, right? Yeah, totally. I, I um I have done a little bit of stuff in the social media space recently where I like share had to sh like shared images of my like CGM result, mm -hmm. and like today it's it's good, right? Right yeah. now it's good. Uh, I've had a good day, but You're I get in it. range. I get it. Um, yeah, I'm in range, but but certainly if I look at my chart and it's like this, I'm like, mm -hmm. do I want to share that? People know how loose I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, sometimes I have people reach out to me going like, so how do I eliminate fluctuations? I'm like, you can't eliminate fluctuations. It's not even people. <laughs> well, I mean, that's not even going to do it, right? Because you still have hormones. Yeah. And you're yeah. still going to be impacted by a lot of things that is not re related to food. Yeah. And I think even if you, I saw, this, I saw this awesome graph. We should try and find this and also put this in the notes or something. This yeah. awesome graph of blood sugar readings from people without diabetes. They don't have flat lines. Flat lines are for yeah, deaf people. Totally, totally. They don't. I mean, yeah. right? and it's kind of, it's such a misconception that we need flat lines all the time. Of course, we shouldn't be like, ah, you know, up and because that's stressful for the body, the stressful for the mind and all that as well. But I go outside the, the lines as well. Yeah, I've, I've actually, I've known people who put the Libre on, who don't have diabetes, go have a big bowl of noodles and they'll be high. Like they'll be you know eight or nine so yeah you're right like there's there's variation in everyone yeah and it's also i mean and that's the other thing i often describe diabetes as you know there's a lot of moving parts and with knowledge and i think with knowledge you can get your overall blood sugars down to to sort of a more closer to a normal range without it being a normal range but still we don't have full information about what's going on in our bodies right so yeah for example, as I said, there's more than food that impacts blood sugars. Like, how did you sleep? What's your stress levels? For women, where are we at in our cycle? Do you, do, to get 5.9, do uh -huh. you not eat any carbs? Oh, I love carbs. But you can, so you can get 5.9 and be eating pasta? Yeah. The thing is, I always tell people, because a lot of, again, a lot of people also think that exactly what you're saying, that you can't, you can't eat carbs or you should go keto or whatever. I hated keto, by the way. I've, the worst results I've ever had with my diabetes management once in the later years has been with keto. Yeah. Um, so keto didn't work for me. Keto is awesome for some people. It's not awesome for me. Anyway, what I find is that even you can eat crappy food. You can eat like the American diet and still have really good blood sugars. What it comes down to is knowing what you put in your body, knowing, having a good understanding of how it impacts your blood sugars and how to react. React, I'm talking about how to dose your insulin, how much and when, right? Because yeah. if you have a really, really good understanding of, okay, this kind of food is, let's say high glycemic, meaning it's going to hit my bloodstream like that. Mm. If I know how many carbohydrates are in it, I understand the composition. And this is a lot of moving parts again. I understand the composition. Though, it's a lot of fat. is a lot of protein as well. Yeah. Then I can start to make the calculations in my head. I'm like, okay, so if it's high glycemic, I should probably pre-bolus. I should probably pre-bolus. So pre-bolus simply yeah. means taking insulin more, you know, not right when you eat. Yeah. And from pre-bolusing for something high glycemic is probably not 10 minutes before. 
it's maybe doing half an hour before and maybe even 45 minutes yeah wow so tell me this then when do you come unstuck when i come unstuck what does that mean when do you mess up like okay let me oh. tell you <laughs> like some of the challenges like my a1c would be around 6.9 at the moment mm -hmm. and i'm pretty That's happy with that. yeah. um, 5.9 i'm like i'm not sure I could survive that in terms of like the the discipline I think it would take for me to get that because mm. um, um, I'd I like to be undisciplined sometimes um, but like I, I, I my challenges lately are um, and this and if you want to charge me for a coaching session feel free <laughs> <laughs> but like um, I come unstuck lately where like I'll have a massive bowl of pasta for dinner. Uh -huh. Right. And it's not like I haven't done that for like the last 15 years that I've been diabetic. I've done it. So you'd mm -hmm. think that I somehow should know what the hell I'm doing and get it right. But, but I don't always still get it right. And, and what I'm finding, like, uh, like one example happened this week. I had some pasta. Um, I had my like four or five units. It was a smallish bowl. I had four or five units with that. And then usually what I do is then I potentially have another one or two units four or five hours later. Yep. And then I also take a, a bit extra long acting before I go to bed. Yep. So like I'll have 20 units in the morning with my normal long acting. And then I might have two to four units before bed, depending on what I've had for dinner. If I've had mm -hmm. pasta dinner or if I've had yep. a high, high GI meal. But you know, one, one, this, this particular night I had a hypo at like 3 a.m. because I'd taken two units. But I think it's because the bowl of pasta wasn't big enough. But there'll be days where like um, probably lately actually what's happening is I'm finding that I'm, I'm waking up quite high in the mornings, even though I've done these things. And mm -hmm. that maybe to me just says I need to titrate my overall of my doses up a little bit higher. But I think my point is that I, I just, and, I, and maybe this, this is kind of the diabetes story, isn't it? Um, and this is kind of the question that I'm asking you. Like that's an example. I just feel like a, you know, I never really, there's no such thing as perfection. And um, oh, there's not. We're gonna, I'm never going to nail it. But um, it sounds like you get closer to perfection than, than a lot of people, than me anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it also, so first of all, I don't get it right every time, right? Because then my A1C would be five and I would never have a low blood sugar, which is like yeah. not, <laughs> not reality. What is, what is I, A1C I, for a non-diabetic? Do we know that? Is it five? So 5.7 to 5.9% is considered pre-diabetes. Yeah, right. Um, so quite, anything quite fine ranges, aren't they? It's, it, does, <laughs> it does show how how well controlled non-diabetics are. Yeah, and I mean it's because they have a system that's doing everything for them, right? Yeah. It's also because the insulin that we inject acts differently than the insulin that the it does, well it does act differently than the pancreas, you know, drips into the body in the sense that the insulin that we inject lasts four hours because we inject, you know. Yeah, that's different from a healthy pancreatic system. That one can like turn on and off in a way that we can't, right? So that's also the other thing is that we have to act like a pancreatic system, mm. not just as a pancreatic, but pancreatic system. And it's, we don't have full information. I don't know how we could ever get it right 100% of the time. I also think there's a big difference. So I don't mind checking my continuous glucose monitor frequently. Yeah. I don't mind taking injections whenever I see I start to climb. Totally. I don't, people ask me, well, how many times do you inject? I'm like, how many times I need to? 
Yeah. I just I don't care because I don't. For me, it doesn't hurt, and it's not it's not a hassle. Surely that's gold standard now, anyway. Surely that's the recommendation: is you 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 take what you need when you need it. But for some people, that's not doable for several different reasons. Maybe it's a, too much of a mental burden. Some people are standing up eight hours a day or ten hours a day in a job where they can't necessarily go just check and inject or eat or whatever. Yeah. So there's a lot of different situations I think where people can't necessarily do what I do for whatever reason. And I think that's where it's completely, and that's also why all the endocrinologists are like, well, and, and the good endocrinologists are like, well, A1C should be tailored to you, your needs, and your situation. Yeah. So everybody shouldn't be aiming for five or six to six five. I don't think so. No, and we probably don't really know the realities when it comes to morbidity and mortality for someone like me who is, what did I say I was, 6.9 versus a 5.9 <laughs> person. Like, there's no, sign there's no clinical data on it. No, there's not. And so that's the thing. I think we don't really know what world we're in right now because the, you know, the, the real world data that we have saying you need to control, we, we know time in range is a new kind of metric, mm -hmm. right? And we know sure. that, like, we know that control is important, but we don't, we don't know it to a fine tuned kind of outcome where we can say that, you know, a type one diabetic who gets a 5.9 versus a type one diabetic who gets a 6.9 will live longer or will have less X, mm. Y, Z morbidity and mortality. Yeah. So um, that's kind of interesting stuff. I think where we, the people don't always, and also like the, 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 when you get diagnosed, how, how long have you had diabetes for? Like, that probably plays a bit of a role as well. So there's, there's all sorts of little elements that we don't really know much about. Not, I suppose the hope is that the world we live in, the information we have, that, you know, hopefully a 6.9 can live as long as a 5.9. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's also a reason why the general recommendations say you should have an A1C of 7.5 or lower. Yeah. I mean, there's quite a, quite a rigor room from 6.5 to 7.5, right? But I think, again, I think it's so important that we say it's personal. It has to be personalized. There might be times in your life as well where you want, so this is not relevant for you, but if a woman wants to get pregnant, for example, she might need to focus a little bit more on her, you know, blood sugar fluctuations and keep her blood sugars low to take care of herself and her baby. Whereas if you are in a situation where you might have hypo unawareness, meaning you don't feel your lows, and let's say you don't have a device like you and I have that shows an alert. Yeah. You might want to aim for a higher A1C or higher average blood sugars just to prevent that person passing out all the time. Totally. Or ending up in a dangerous situation. So I, I just, it's just a lot of moving parts. There is. Really good chat. Let's jump into the fitness <laughs> stuff now because I like fitness. I think it does definitely help as a type 1 diabetic to be having some fitness in your life. Yeah. Um, Tell us about your fitness. We kind of got a little bit of a sense of your fitness journey. So where are you at with it now? And, and, and you know, it's, it's part of your life and it's also kind of part of your career, isn't it? It is. So actually, it's, it's a good. So let's just jump back to 2014. So 2014, again, I just moved. We moved here in at 11 and I started to exercise more. We told I told you because I saw all these fit people. I was like, ooh, I want that too. A lot of people are like, oh, so it's because your diabetes. I'm like, no. I just saw these people and wanted that for myself. But that's kind of how I do everything. I always, I don't think ever diabetes has driven me first, going like, it's because of my diabetes I do something. Yeah. 
I'm kind of like my diabetes just has to, I have to Some figure that out after. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what happened in 2014 was that I competed in my first bikini fitness competition. So bodybuilding competition. Yeah. Uh, because again, I got really into it. I have a body that, you know, works well for that kind of sport. And yeah. a lot of the the professionals in my gym were kind of like, you should try this out. I was like, yeah. So I did that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really fun. And it was... I did really well, which was also fun. And I did that from 14 to 16. And then I stopped because it was messing with my head. I mean, it's very restricted and yeah. for a lot of people leads to some unhealthy, uh, unhealthy relationship with food. And that did that for me too as well. So I stopped. But what I wanted with that story was, that, okay, so 14, I'm, I'm starting to compete in fitness competitions. That means that my exercise, my diet, everything is like, I'm counting every rice, grain of rice, right? I'm measuring everything. And then of course, there's that diabetes that, is that comes along for the ride. And that's when I really realized, despite being active for years, how insanely difficult it can be to exercise with diabetes. And this is, I didn't even have a CGM at that point. So I was managing with finger sticks. And I would say to anyone who doesn't have access to CGM, you can do well with finger sticks, as I did. It's, it's a little more work, but you totally can. So I realized how complicated that was. All I had from a doctor was one of those pamphlets I talked about saying eat 15 grams of carbs, which is completely utterly useless for most situations. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to go online because this is, you know, 2014, we had Google and I'm just going to find it. And it's going to be all these resources. It's going to be amazing. And I went online and it was like crickets. There's nothing out there in 2014. There's nothing out there about how to do like what I would call, and I know what I was doing was an everyday exercise, but you know, going to the gym, stuff like that. How do you manage that with, or how do you manage diabetes just doing those activities? It was nothing. There was a few articles about how to do like endurance sports, marathons, Ironmans, stuff like that. I couldn't do less. I don't really do that stuff. I was like, that's not what I wanted. I, I need information. Help me. And there's nothing. So I'm a fairly structured person. You probably got that feel by now. So I just, I created the resource for myself. I was like, okay, I'm going to write down everything. I'm going to take notes out and everything, and I'm going to figure this out. And I did actually fairly quickly, fairly quickly. I realized this kind of exercise at this time of day is going to make my blood sugars go this or that way. If I do resistance training at 4 p.m. in the afternoon, if I do this kind of exercise, is my blood sugar is going to go up first and it's going to go down later. So all these things I realized. And then, so I got my diabetes managed out, you know, by myself. And then I started mm -hmm. to document this online. I just had a little block in the beginning where I was writing down these things, realizing then that, hey, I'm not the only one looking for this information because there's a lot of type one communities generally, at least the people I interact with maybe, are yeah. fairly active. And they yeah. want to be active. They want yeah. to be empowered to be active yeah. without having like bracky blood sugars all the time, right? So that kind of took off. And that led to my husband and I in 2015 deciding that, you know what, there's enough of a demand here in the sense that we're providing information for folks that they actually need. So we left our corporate jobs and we started diabetesstrong.com, which is my website now, right? So it started out, it's only being fitness. Yeah. Everything, exercise. and but Not diabetes related. Oh, so it was diabetes and fitness. Yes. Well, it started out a little different and then we took it. I mean, I, I tend, I'm one of those. I don't always go like, I kind of sometimes need a bit of wiggle room <laughs> because I was not talking about my diabetes a whole lot before 2015. Yeah. I was one of those. I managed it, but I managed it by myself. I didn't necessarily yeah. know that there was a diabetes community. So me like being, if you go to diabetesstrong.com right now, my face is like right there. And I'm talking about diabetes all the time. <laughs> 
I was talking about diabetes here as well. You're a celebrity in the diabetes world. Hi. I don't know about that, but my face is all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> You're in LA as well. <laughs> Typical. Yeah. Yeah, that that was weird because I, I that's never something I sought out. Again, I didn't talk about diabetes and all of a sudden I just I realized that my voice could help others. I re- all of a sudden realized that what my experience, you know, had value. I didn't know that before. Yeah. And that kind of made me go full force and like, okay, this is it. We can help provide some information to a lot of people who need it. We can do it in a format where they don't have to pay to get to this information. Right. So that's why diabetesstrong.com is completely free. And it's morphed. It's not just fitness anymore. It is everything health and diabetes for any type of diabetes. Yeah. So it's it's morphed in that way. So it's become a career. As you know, where am I today? Well, today I am, that is my full-time job. I run diabetesstrong.com. I am, you did mention coaching. I am coaching people with diabetes, but I'm not working as a fitness trainer anymore. I did that for a few years. It was fun, but my strength is definitely providing information. My strength is when I do coach, I coach people about, well, how do you exercise with diabetes? Or I coach people about, you know, just learning the basics of diabetes because a lot of people don't know. Back to what you and I talked about before. I mean, there's a lot of, if you don't understand how insulin works or if you have never been explained, you know, how different types of exercise impact blood sugars, how are you supposed to manage it? Yeah, totally. You said something earlier about your experience being of value. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really interesting moment of self-awareness. Yeah. Because I think that it's not common and not maybe easy, I think, for people to think about it in those terms and maybe to have the confidence to go, I'm having an experience. I feel like I've learned a a lot about my own experience and I feel like I could actually share something and there could be something of value in my experience for other people. That's a nice way of putting it in a nice moment to have had, I suppose, for you. Yeah. I I don't think I had a light bulb moment in that. It was like, ah, all of a sudden it's kind of came sneaking up on me. (laughs) Yes. I think there, there started to be this feedback loop of me putting things out there and people feel like, oh my gosh, this is helping me see something in my diabetes man, or it's providing me a piece of information that I didn't have before that now means that I can go out and be successful on my own. Mm. Um, so I think that feedback loop kind of reinforced it. And that's why I ultimately ended up being like, okay, I just, it's okay sometimes that diabetes come first and then well, actually, Christelle with diabetes comes first and then the just Christelle comes after. And I don't mind it as such. I don't see myself as Christelle with diabetes, but when I communicate with people, that's who I am, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, but I do think, you know, so I didn't mention what I did before. I worked in the corporate world. I was working for Medtronic, pump manufacturer for a lot of years. I actually worked for Norman Artists back in the day as well. I worked in... Life care, health sciences. Healthcare, life, healthcare, and life sciences, or life yes, sciences. Yes, thank you. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> We've had a similar journey, I think, in many ways, in terms of our corporate career, both mm-hmm. diabetes, CGM wearers, now kind of like working immersed, you know, in our own thing in the community. Yeah, but I mean, the feedback loop I had when I worked for these big corporations were non-existent because, first of all, I was fairly far away from the end user and I was doing all this strategy work and it was very exciting. It was very high level, a lot of slides, 
but it's nothing like what I do now. I mean, now I can, I have conversations with people like you, you yeah. know, I, I have daily interactions with people living diabetes and it's pretty amazing. Yeah, you're able to contribute more directly and get more direct feedback and, and just like for me, there's there's just a bit more purpose to every day, you know, like and the work, I never sit there and go, ah, oh, you know, I, I never wake up and go, well, maybe I do actually, that's a lie, but I don't do it as often. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I gotta go to the oh shit, I gotta go to work. I don't have that as much anymore. Yeah, no, I hear you. And it's not and it's not just me like providing things to others. When people reach out to me, they, you know provide me with knowledge, they, you know, energy, yeah. whatever you want to call it. It's, it's again, it's a loop. It's a feedback loop, right? It's not just me pushing slides over the table or talking to that one, you know, diet buddy I have. It's, how, it's, so how long has it been actually? What's, how long has it been since you left the corporate world and jumped into the doing your diabetes thing? How's it been? Which part of it? Well, yeah. When did you, when did you quit? Uh, so left in 15. Okay. So, almost it's going to we're going to come up in six years I, it's has very it, different has it just gone like um from if you has it been always smooth sailing and successful or has it have you had moments of doubt it's been successful all the way i'm always yeah. <laughs> no, no. so the thing is actually and this is kind of the interesting part is i would not be able to do this alone yeah I couldn't have done this alone. My husband and I, so first of all, we have very similar academic as well as work backgrounds, different industry though. We work really well together and he is, what's the big difference between him and I, and we're equal partners in Diabetes Strong. The big mm. difference between him and I though, is that I'm extremely risk averse. I hate risk. Yeah. I get nervous and I'm, I would rather you know, you should see my retirement plan. It's ridiculous. It's like this just plan ever. I'm not ever gonna make any money on it because I don't want to lose any money on it. Right. Anyway, right. he's not that way, right? He's more of a risk taker and he's more like, this is gonna be okay. You know, we ran the numbers, we know it's gonna be okay, we're gonna be fine. So I think had it not been for that dynamic of him like pushing me a little bit and me sometimes pushing back, first of all, I would probably never have left my corporate job and done this. Mm. So has it been smooth sailing? No, <laughs> because again, we don't always agree. And we were, I mean, we're, we're running an online, it's technically an online publishing company. Mm. In the sense that that's very technical, but in the sense that we provide information to people, we don't charge for it. However we do, if you go to the website, you'll see we have advertising on the website. That's how we monetize the website, right? So that means that we are able to pay our bills if enough people come through the website, read articles, and thereby, you know, make us ad revenue. Yeah. In the beginning, when we started out, we didn't have a lot of people coming through. We had some, but not enough to actually, you know, make an income off of it. So in the beginning, we were paying for everything ourselves. We're paying our own salaries. And we did have some money saved up. And there we made mistakes. So we had to go back. We had to restore stuff. So... This is not, it's interesting because it's so far from the industry I was in before yeah. or my kind of line of work. Same thing for my husband. None of us are like tech folks either. We have to build a website. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. How do you optimize a website for search so that you guys can find us? How do you do all these things? And it's been a little, I, I don't think anyone likes to say so. Mike. But anyway, most people's road is not like straight. It's like, yeah, I want to see a picture of your husband. I want to, because if he's 50 50 because you're you're definitely kind of it seems like 100 percent at the face of the business yes 
early on, he's like, well, we learned earlier, and he's like, when you talk about diabetes, nobody wants to see see him, unfortunately, poor guy. But I mean, because he's not the one living with diabetes, right? So from a website perspective, I do a lot of content creation. We do have other writers on as well. I run our social media. I am our face outwards because I am the one living with diabetes, right? Whereas if somebody's interested in how the business is run, he does a lot of the back end stuff. Wait, what a great team. It, yeah, it works out. He's <laughs> I like him. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. And he's been along for the ride. It's an interesting one. He and I met in 2000. So we've known each other for a really long time. But we didn't meet. We actually met before that. We started to date in 2000. We went to the same high school. And people often ask me, like, so how did you, like, tell him about your diabetes? Because at that point, I was three years into my diagnosis. And I didn't have to. I, I think I pulled out my insulin pen. And he instantly knew what it was about. Because it just so happened that his older brother... So I think six years older than him, mm. had been dating a girl for 10 years who lived with type 1 diabetes. Oh, wow. So basically he knew, he probably knew more about the condition when we met than I did. So it was never like, it was never weird. It's never an issue. And I don't have any good stories about how I taught him about diabetes because he kind of knew. Yeah, the whole, um, the whole partner thing is a whole other can of worms, isn't it, actually? Like, we, we won't get into it today because I'm going to start to wrap it up. But, but the way... Like we've covered some really good stuff and I think there's a lot of stuff left to cover as well with you. So I'm going to pose that we do a sec, uh, you know, a, what do you call it? A take two, uh, <laughs> a, I don't know. A follow up. Because <laughs> uh, I think there's, there's a heap more to cover. Just before we do wrap up though, uh, do you want to kind of give, I mean, we've given a, you mentioned diabetes strong. Is there anything else that, is going on with you guys at the moment that you think that the listeners might be interested in? Oh, thank you for that. So I would encourage anyone who wants to be, well, part of the journey. So we have uh, something called the Fit with, Fit with Diabetes Challenge that runs every January. Yeah. Uh, in January 2021, it's going to be the next one. It's completely free. It's three weeks. And Fit with Diabetes Challenge can be, it can basically be whatever you want it to be. But I call it kind of like a diabetes boot camp. So yeah. we go through everything from goal setting, nutrition, exercise. But we also talk about the mental sides, kind of some of the stuff that we talked about. We talk about diabetes burnout. We talk about, well, how do you adjust your insulin in certain situations? And it's, again, it's both type 1 and type 2 or 1.5 or 3. For that matter, I don't <laughs> care. We have room for everyone. And the sign-up is available here on the website. Just go on, type in their email, and they're on the list. And start getting emails when we start January 3rd. So highly encourage anyone to join. We also have a really cool Facebook group with 20-something thousand people uh, with diabetes um, community. That's yeah. where we host all the peer support. Awesome. Which I think is probably one. That group started with our first challenge in 2007. And it's just like grown because peer support is everything. It it's is. so, it so is. important. It really is. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is fun. Let's that. And um, I look forward to the next one now that we've um, yeah. committed to that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a nice day. You too. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to our podcast to keep updated. Also, we love feedback and suggestions, and we love to hear from you. So let us know what you think. We're brought to you by Not Just a Patch, the patch designed to keep your CGM stuck on you. 
wishing you the loveliest of days. Goodbye.